of verse 28, the verse I just read. Someone said, I don't know if someone is, um, I found a quote online, and we could keep it as that. But he said, I have read, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are wise and very beautiful, but I have never read in either of them, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'm sure you very educated people, very clever people, you've read countless literature that has maybe moved you to tears, sung songs that have got you quite emotional, even just singing that song got me quite emotional, seen movies that have probably made you laugh or, you know, read literature or, you know, whatever it might be that has sort of got your mind moving and, you know, got you doing some mental gymnastics and all that kind of stuff. But in all the brilliance that we have out there and in all the brilliance that you've consumed, has any writer, has any poet, musician, whatever they might be, has any of them ever dared to say, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Come to me with your burdens. What, what, what should that evoke from you? What sort of emotion and passion should that evoke from you? It's even contrary to how we're wired in the first place, to be honest. We don't really like to share our burdens. We don't really want to put our burdens on other people's, on, on other people. They've got their own issues and, and things to be dealing with. So, you know, I'll stay in my lane, you stay in your lane, I'll put my head down, focus, try and sort out my issues by myself. But how comes Jesus Christ allows us, in fact, invites us? He says, come, come to me. If you have burdens, if you're heavy laden, come to me. How come he invites us to come to him? How much peace and how much ease and how much encouragement are we potentially missing out on? Are we potentially just saying goodbye to if we don't take Jesus Christ seriously? If we don't take his word to mean exactly what he means, come to me, all you that are heavy laden and are burdened, and all you that are laid, heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. We don't want to do that today. We don't want to ignore Jesus Christ. So the purpose of today, hopefully in the next hour or so, is to really sort of unpack that, what Jesus Christ actually meant by come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Come to me. Let's unpack that. Let's spend time in it. Let's really understand the invitation. And of course, the invitation is open to everybody here. Are we going to come to Jesus Christ at the end of it? Are we going to come to him with our needs? In order to do that, to do that we'll examine three things. Um, first, we'll look at sort of like the context for coming um, and sort of like the, the, the passage of scripture that we'll be spending a lot of our time in from 20, verse 25 to verse 30, that little section of come to me and I will give you rest. In, in verse 25 and, and 26, he gives context for coming. It's not, you don't just come straight away. There's context. There's a prerequisite that you must be aware of before you actually come. That's the first thing we'll look at. The second thing is then we'll look at the actual invitation to coming to Jesus Christ and what that looks like. And then thirdly, the promise exchange. If you do come, what is promised for you if you come to Jesus Christ? So, like I said, let's start with the, the context for coming. What is the, the tone that Jesus Christ sets for your coming? What's the framework that he puts in place for you to come before you actually come? And before, we, and, 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 and before we kind of examine that wonderful invitation, Jesus Christ mentions two things, one in verse 25, one in verse 26. One sort of determining how we should come, so that's the first framework, how we come, and the second one, to whom are we coming to? So first, let's, let's, do, with our first, let's do with our first framework, how we come. And we find that in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. You've revealed these things, you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, and you've revealed these things to 
little children. What is these things, first of all? What, what's these things that's been hidden and revealed, hidden from some and revealed to others? Well, Jesus Christ is talking about the knowledge of salvation and how we actually come to Jesus Christ. He's talking about how people are saved. And these things, people being saved, has been hidden from certain kinds of people. It's been hidden from those who think they are wise. It's been hidden from people who think they have understanding. Why would he do that? Why would salvation, something so important, be hidden? That's not fair. Why would Jesus Christ do that? Why would he say that? On the top of that, why would he even thank God for that? He says, I thank my Father in heaven that you have hidden these things from them. Why would he do that? Now, we don't know who is saved, who is going to be saved, and who isn't going to be saved in God's grand scheme of, of salvation and is, 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 is planned um, from eternity past. We don't know. We don't know. We, we can't say it's this person, is that person, it's this amount of people. We don't know. It's not for us to know. We don't need to concern ourselves with that. Let God be God. Let man be man. And we, we, we respect our lanes, um, so to speak. But what we do know is the type of people that God saves. The type of people that God saves. The type of people that God has revealed salvation to because Jesus Christ told us. The type of people that he's hidden salvation from are those who are wise and are understanding. Is he saying that smart people, are, 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 are authors, are all that kind of stuff, are smart people not going to be saved? No, that's not what he means. He's talking about the religious leaders of their day. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. As we read in chapter 12, they're walking around, they think they know the law, they got the law of the Sabbath on, on, on check, they're trying to test him, they're trying to trip him up, they're asking him all these questions. They think they know the law, they think they know Jesus Christ. But Jesus is basically talking to the, to the religious leaders and saying, you guys are just wise in your own eyes. You think you're wise, but you're not. You've got the degrees in theology, you've got the masters, and you think you know it all. You think you know me, but really you don't know me. You are wise to yourself. Not to anybody else, but to yourself. You're wise in your own eyes. They're wise in that sort of sarcastic sense. They're clever, and they're book smart, and they can recite the law back to front, all sorts. They can give it to you in various languages, but ask them to talk to you about Jesus Christ and the real intimate relationship that they have with him. Clueless. Whitewashed tombs is what Jesus Christ refers to them as. Good on the outside. They speak well. They look well. They dress well. But inside, dead, vacant. Nothing exists. They know so much and yet know so little. From those people, God has hidden these things. The wise and understanding know nothing of Jesus Christ. And he says, you have revealed these things to little children. It's the little children that you've revealed these things to. The wise and the understanding, they've been put on one side and they're dwelling in their darkness. The little children are the ones who receive these things. Jesus Christ thanks his Father in heaven for that. What does he mean by that? Who are the young children? Only young children will be saved? No, of course not. What he means by children, little children, just take this key word, those who are dependent. That's, that, that, that's, that's kind of what we need to drive home with that. You've revealed these things to those who are dependent. Jesus is saying, be dependent like little children. If you want to come, if you want to come to me, first of all, you must be dependent like little children. Children humbly depend on others. They're not independent, far from. They depend on others for everything, for their sustenance. If you're a parent in the room, how many times have children come up to you and said, listen, wake up, I'm hungry, I can't cook this food, so what's happening? You know, get to work sort of thing. They're dependent. They need you. If you leave a baby to die, if, sorry, if you leave a baby by themselves, they will die. They don't feed themselves, they don't clean themselves, they can't move. 
All they can do is cry because they're dependent, far from being independent. And Jesus Christ is saying, these things have been revealed to them, the dependent ones. We have to be childlike. If we want to come to Jesus Christ, we must be childlike first. That's our first framework. We must be childlike. They are helpless and they recognize it. They are empty and they know it. In the Beatitudes, blessed are who? The poor in spirit. The ones who are bankrupt. And to them is the one who the kingdom of God belongs. Those who are poor in spirit. The ones who have a begging spirit. They don't come to Jesus Christ saying, listen, look what I can bring to the table. They come knowing they have nothing. They are poor. It's a different kind of poor. It's not poor and I'm just scraping by month to month. It's, it's a poor in the sense, if I don't get something from you, I'm going to die. I have nowhere else to go to. I have no resources. I have no savings. I have nothing else that I can lean on. I don't have a rainy day fund. I'm poor and broken in spirit. Help me or I'll die. That's the first framework we come in. We come dependent to Jesus Christ. We come utterly helpless, utterly dependent, utterly broken, utterly desperate. The, be the beginning of the way to heaven is to first find out that we're actually on our way to hell. Unless you have that kind of desperation, you can't come. Unless you have that sort of, you have that ingrained in your mind that if I'm not changing something right now, I'm going to die, then don't come. That's who these things have been revealed to. Sometimes we tend to think that God is, God only, well, we hear it said all the time, God help, God will only help, God will help those who help themselves. And, you know, strap up your ideas and, you know, show God that you're, you're, you're serious and then he will come and help you. God helps the helpless. He says in Isaiah 25 verse 4, you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress. In Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Not whilst we strengthened ourselves, not whilst we roused ourselves up, while we were still weak, dead in our sin, Christ died for the ungodly. So our first context is really to understand this invitation properly, understand your need, understand your desperation. And then our second framework, our second context to really understand the invitation is to whom are we coming? So we understand ourselves, we understand our need. To who are we going to? Who is this Jesus Christ? And he says in verse 27, follow me there. Verse 27, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son. And anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So before he offers this wonderful um, invitation to everybody to come to him, he says, first of all, I'm the only one, basically, that knows the Father, and the Father is the only one that knows me. Why does this help us? Why, 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 why the need to tell us this? The Son knowing the nature, the true nature of the Father, means that he's the only one that can truly reveal him. He is the only one. When he says, all things have been handed to me, all things in terms of a perfect knowledge of the Father, all of that has been handed to me. Only Jesus can reveal God. The scribes and the Pharisees, they thought they could. They thought they could, they, they could teach the law. They thought they could reveal the true nature of God, but they weren't. All they were, putting, all they were doing was adding more burden to, 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 the, to, to their hearers. Follow this law and obey this and obey this and obey this. And make sure you don't step out of line here. Laws upon laws upon burdens upon burdens. And Jesus Christ is saying, I'm the only one that truly knows the Father. Jesus alone can reveal his mind because he knows him perfectly. 
Jesus alone can reveal his heart, his attitudes, the attributes of God's human. Everything you need to know about God is revealed and taught in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the perfect revelation of who God is. Not only that, not only is Jesus Christ the perfect revelation of who God is, Jesus Christ only is the perfect revelation of who God is. So there's exclusivity here. There's exclusivity. Jesus Christ is saying, I alone am the way, the truth, and the life to God. Jesus is not an authority on the Father. It's not Jesus Christ said this, and then the scribes and Pharisees says this. Jesus Christ is the authority on who God is. The scribes and Pharisees, whatever they say in, in contradiction to Jesus Christ and what he reveals, you've been it. Jesus Christ is the true revelation alone of God the Father. He is the authority. He's not one of many revelations or part of it. He is the final revelation of who God is. And if Christ has not revealed the Father to you, you're not going to know him. You don't find him anywhere else because he alone is the way to know the Father. And again, we see Jesus Christ setting the tone, setting that framework before we actually come to him. He's basically saying, if you come to me, you're coming to me exclusively, alone. You're not coming to me and then branching somewhere else to go and get some more rest. You come to me and you come to me alone. If you, come to, if you heed my invitation to come, that's it. There's nothing else after me. There's nothing else before me. You come to Jesus Christ and that's it. There's no stop off. I'm the final destination. And so there's our context. There's our framework. We come to Jesus Christ and we are childlike. We're humble, we're broken, we're desperate. And we come to Jesus Christ realizing that he and he alone is the one that can give me rest. And so then, therefore, let's come to examine the, the context of the invitation. We now turn our attention to uh, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. This is a wide invitation. It sounds, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not an invitation just for friends. It's not an invitation just for high and mighty or, or, or certain, a certain class or anything like that. It's an invitation to everybody. Everybody that could hear Jesus Christ's voice at that time said, that refers, that, I see myself in that invitation. Everyone that's hearing my voice today, you see yourself in this invitation. It's an invitation to everybody. It goes far and wide. It cool goes out to many. The only qualification you need to accept this invitation is to have a need. And I know I'm not speaking in Swahili here when I say we have needs, right? Just as, as our, our, mere, our mere fabric, our mere DNA, this, <laughs> this week alone would have probably showed many of us, we have needs. We really, really have needs. In this dark world of sin, who doesn't have needs? You know, we feel so much exhaustion from our to-do lists, our daily to-do lists, which we never seem to be, we never seem to get to the bottom of. There always seems to be more stuff to do than there are actually hours available in the day. How demanding our life is, whether it's the nine to five or the home life or studying and all that kind of stuff and trying to advance in our career, trying to get bills paid on time and trying to make sure the family's happy, trying to make sure everyone stays fed, stays safe. Feel guilt if you don't really, if you feel like you're not really doing much. You know, pep, uh, there's a term I, I hear a lot in the, in the parenting circles, mum guilt. You know, am I really doing enough for my kids? I'm working so hard. Am I neglecting my kids? I'm, I'm working on my kids. Am I neglecting my husband? I'm focusing on my husband. Am I, am I neglecting the church? There's just so much, so much demand. So much. So much that we really have to try and put our time to. There are those, they, when we can sort of break down, break up uh, the, the, the uh, qualification when Jesus Christ says, those who labor and are heavy laden. Some have said, 
those who labor are those who put pressures on themselves. So it's those sort of, I've got an expectation to live up to. I'm not doing enough, all that kind of stuff. The guilt and the remorse that comes from that. And then those who are heavy laden are those who have pressures piled on them. So they have their own pressures and they have their own demands. And then they're now heavy laden. There's more heavy burdens being placed on top of their own burdens that they have for themselves. Relationships. The relationships you have with others. Friendships, marriages, relationships, boyfriends and girlfriends, courtships and that kind of stuff. Nothing brings much, so much more joy, so much more comfort, so much more happiness and laughter. Those are some wonderful things to cherish. But conversely, nothing brings so much more heartbreak and pain and stress sometimes when the relationship is not fulfilling what you wanted it to be, when the relationship goes down alleyways and it becomes uh, a drain on your time and on your resources and the relationship doesn't work out like it's supposed to and all you're left with is heartbreak and you feel like you've wasted emotion and you've wasted your investment. You've invested your time and your love into this person and it's just shot you back in your face. The heavy laden that's placed upon us from others. The drain a parent might feel when they have a troublesome child. When is this child ever going to change? Why is this child so, 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 so disobedient? Why is this child not doing well at school? Why don't they listen? When the parenting becomes so hard. And we just feel so much burden. And we feel so much care. Sleepless nights that come from anxiety and worry. The grief we feel when we lose loved ones. The helplessness when we, we feel like we have an addiction that we can't quite help. Do I have control of my life? Why can't I just switch this off? Why can't I just stop doing this particular activity that I know I shouldn't be doing? Why do I feel so out of control? Why do I not feel like myself? Like the, the, the sheer physical tiredness that we feel. Just because we're human, just because we have limits. You feel tired and drained. You, you feel like you can never sleep long enough. You go to bed at a certain time, you wake up more tired than you were when you first woke up. And the to-do list is still there. You still got to get yourself back into it. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come. And upon all the cares that I've just listed there, I'm sure many of us can, can, can reason with. All of us reason with this one. There's still one underlying foundational burden and care that we all have to carry. And similar to this sort of analogy, have you ever sort of taken your car to like a mechanic and you take it for a minor fault and then they sit on your car for a few hours and then they call you back and say, listen, your car's a write-off. You need to get a new car. So what happened? You've got an underlying issue. You have, a, you have a big problem with this car. And it's the same thing with us. We have all of these issues. We have all of these significant problems. It needs to be checked. It needs to be we need help with them. But we still have this underlying issue, this major underlying issue. And that's our sin burden. That's the sin load that we have to carry. It's so laborious. It's so heavy. And oftentimes, instead of coming to Jesus Christ, we find ourselves trying to deal with our sin problem by ourselves. It was never actually meant for us to carry, but we still try and carry it ourselves and try and fix it. But it only gets the, 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 the sin only compounds on itself the more you try to fix it. The, 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 the mess just gets messy. Have you seen kids when they, they, they break something and before you realize you're trying to fix it, but they're actually making it worse? And you're just like, just stop, just stop, just leave it. Just leave it alone. That's like us when we're trying to carry the sin burden that we have. 
we, we, we want to fix up, and then when we don't fix up, we feel more sorrow. And then the sorrow comes, it gives you the, the, the regret and guilt and stress and remorse. And then we, 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 we then get a bit more cumbered down with our failures. Then the cycle starts again. So we start feeling remorse and guilt and stress. And then the cycle starts again and again and again. You can imagine someone that's running down the road and they, have the, they look flat out. They look tired. They look like they, they can barely stand. When, of course, they're running with this big back, this big uh, burden on their back. And they're thinking, what are you doing? Sit down. Stand up. He says, no, I'm trying to rest. That's not what rest looks like. Take, stop dealing. Stop, stop. You're not, take that burden off your back. It's not for you to carry. Stop trying to deal with it yourself. It's not for you to deal with. Jesus Christ has come. Just leave it. Just come. Just leave it. Stop. Stop trying to fix it. Just come. Come to me. Come broken. Come as you are. Come in pieces. Come shattered. Come tired. Come weary. But just make sure you come. Just come. The load of sin is too heavy. It's too heavy for you to lift it. So let me lift it for you. Jesus Christ says it was never for you. It was never intended for you to bear. Let me bear the awful weight of your sin. We cannot fix our sin. The Bible tells us it's easier for a leper to change his, his spots and stripes than for us to change our nature who are sinners. It's easier for me to lift off my black skin than for you to lift off the burden of your sin on your back. Come to Jesus Christ. The invitation says come. We need help. Come to Jesus Christ. And let me jump ahead to verse 29 to give you some, some further encouragement to actually come. I mean, you, you, you've had your internal encouragement. You, you, you've hopefully seen and, and had your needs spelt out to you. But let me give you some external encouragement. Let me tell you about the one to whom you're coming to. Because he says of himself in verse 29, jump to me there. He says, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Come to me. I am gentle and lowly of heart. With all of your cares and with all of your burdens, when you come to somebody, you're, of course, going to feel quite, quite vulnerable. You're going to feel quite open and exposed. When you're broken, nobody really wants to see you there. It's almost like you're walking around naked. Everyone can see you. Everyone can see how, how faulty you are. Everyone can see how stressed and drained you are. Well, the last thing you would want to do is to go to somebody who would throw all of that back in your face. The last thing you would want to do is, 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 is go to someone who is, is manipulative and, and who, 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 who has an ego. Oh, look, you're coming to me. You know, how can I help you sort of thing? And oh, have you tried this? And Jesus Christ says, I'm not like that. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. I'm not going to, I'm not going to abuse you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to twist you. I'm not going to try and find what you did wrong that made it, that made it your fault. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'll give you rest. And we'll, of course, come on to that later. But he's gentle. He's gentle. Let me give you the story of, a, of the gentle crocodile. Um, I'm, I'm really in my, um, uh, what do I call it? Nat nature bag. Like, I love, I'm, I'm like, jump on Netflix, honestly. Netflix has a lot of stuff on it. Get into the documentary series where there's like, they're talking about space and nature and animals. It is so interesting. And so I did that this week. Actually, I did it last week because, so I'm really digressing here. There was a weird debate going on about who's stronger between a crocodile and a hippo. And then I just, yeah, I went from there. That was the rabbit hole that I went down. Um, that, but so I found myself on a, on a crocodile documentary just reading about document, um, crocodiles and stuff. Crocodiles, get to the point, crocodiles have the strongest bite force in, in the animal kingdom. Once they clamp down on you, it's a wrap, basically. They're not, they're not letting go. And crocodiles, obviously the teeth that they have and the sheer force that they have in their, in their, in their, in their jaws, 
they're tearing wild animals, hippos included. They're, they're tearing animals to pieces. And the way they do it is even so savage. They will clamp down, and where their jaws are so strong, their bite is so strong, they twist. So they bite down on the animal, and they're twisting, and they're tearing the skin off of whatever animal it is. That's the force, the, the, the strength that they have in their jaws. In that same jaw, when it's time to care for their eggs, where do, you keep, where, where do they keep their eggs? In that same jaw. And you're thinking, one time these jaws were tearing animals from limb to limb, and now the, same, the very same jaw is holding delicate little eggs, their own little babies. Why do I say all of that? This is the gentleness that Jesus Christ has and is speaking of. Gentleness is not the absence of strength. It's the application of strength to a tender situation. When we come to Jesus Christ and we're tender and we're vulnerable, Jesus Christ is using strength to lift off our burdens. But he's doing it in a gentle way. He's doing it in a compassionate way. He's doing it in a, in a, in a wonderful way. You're not going to feel regret for coming to Jesus Christ. He's not going to abuse you. He's not going to lift you up and all of a sudden you feel embarrassed. Why can't I do that myself? He's not going to snatch it off and you think, why, why are you so lazy? Why couldn't you just do, come to me earlier? He's going to lift off in a gentle way. He's gentle and lowly of heart. He says, my words will not break you. I will not judge you. I will not tear you to pieces. We read in Matthew chapter 12, a bruised reed he will not break. He is gentle. He is gentle. Come to Jesus for gentle relief from your burden. So that's the invitation. Come to Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, the exchange. We have our exchange, the transaction. If we first of all realize that we are humble and we need to come to Jesus Christ, who alone can reveal Jesus, uh, the God to us, if we do actually come, what happens? What's the exchange? We come to Jesus Christ with our burdens. We come to him with our cares. We come to him with our sin load. What happens? What's the exchange? What do we get back in return? Two things. He will take your burdens whilst you take his yoke. He will take your burdens whilst you take his yoke. And secondly, you will find rest. And let's go through those two things together. What precisely is this yoke that Jesus Christ speaks of? He speaks of it in verse, uh, verse 29, is it? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. What is this yoke that he's speaking of? Jesus Christ actually provides an answer to that question when the crowd asked him, what must we do to be saved? And he says, you must be doing the works of God. He says that in John chapter 6. This is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. You believe in, me, in, him, in him who sent me. Carrying the yoke of Jesus Christ is to believe in him. If you want to basically sub out the word come with believe, you're doing the same thing. Coming to Jesus Christ is believing in him. That's what it means to take on his yoke. Believe in him. Abide in him. Lean on him. Repose on him. Take your burdens to him and just collapse onto him. You don't need to do it. You don't need to prove your fitness in front of him. You don't need to prove your spiritual life. Just fall down there before him. Abide in him. Believe in him. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, of course, the Christian life is not now, we're not now promising you a life of ease. There's not going to be any more trials and suffering. There is. Jesus Christ even says another point, you know, put my cross on your back. Like There are trials ahead of you. Persecution is guaranteed. No doubt there are trials to be endured and battles to be fought. But the comforts of the gospel far outweigh the cross. Compared to service, if you want to compare, if you want to compare and contrast, would you rather suffer in the kingdom where there is reward for it or suffer in the world? 
where after your suffering in the world, you then go to join an eternity of suffering? Where would you rather suffer? Suffer for the kingdom where there is purpose? Suffer, suffer with Jesus Christ where he will help you with your load? Or suffer outside of the kingdom where there is no help? Just take my yoke. My yoke is easy. All my yoke requires you to do is to believe in God. Do you want to believe in God or believe in yourself? Do you want to believe in God or believe in the resources and the, 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 the avenues that men have to, to offer you to, to, to deal with your, your resources? My yoke is easy. My yoke is like believe in God. There's no conditions. There's nothing you need to prove. He just says, come. He says, come and take my yoke. Don't go to any other man. Come to me. Don't think about it. Just come. No need to dress yourself up. No need to prep yourself. No need to motivate yourself. Okay, 2023 is the year that I'm going to just do it. Just come to Jesus Christ. And not only does Jesus Christ offer us, offer to take our burdens from us, he offers us rest. He offers us rest. He says, I will give you rest. Not a rest that you have to earn. It's a rest that is given. Not a rest that you now deserve at the end of a long day where you've worked yourself to the bone. I will just give you this rest. I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. Don't, don't be alarmed, but there's five things I want to say about this verse. I, 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 I will, I will back, back through them very quickly. What can we understand about this rest that Jesus Christ is offering to us? First thing, when we think of rest that Jesus Christ is giving, there is a cessation aspect of it. There is a stopping, a, a putting to an end aspect. The same way where you work your nine to five, you work yourself to the bone, mentally you've been invested and physically you've been invested. Once that five o'clock comes, laptop shuts, cessation, you stop. That's the same rest that Jesus Christ is offering. All of this work and all this effort that you've been applying stops. I will give you rest. It's time to stop. There is a cessation. All the efforts that you've been putting to try and earn your salvation ceases. That impossible burden that you've been trying to lift by yourself stops. There's nothing else. Stops. Secondly, the rest signifies a freedom from everything that makes you weary. Oh, why are the kids so weary? Why do the, the kids are so, you, you, you sort of have that image, image in your mind of kids being so weary. So why are you always on top of me? Everything that makes you weary, you're pulled away from. Not to say that God is going to pull you away from your kids. But I'm saying that the aspect of, of rest is he spiritually moves you away from what is making you weary, what is draining on you. What, is, what is, is, is draining on your resources, he now gives you a peace that passes all understanding. The world is never able to offer that. He pulls you away from that which makes you weary. You now have someone to bring all of your burdens and all of your cares to in prayer. You don't get burdens anymore because you pray. Yeah, the suffering is still there. Yeah, the pain is still there. The crying kids are still there. But you can pray. You cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. You can leave all of your cares and all of your burdens in his hands because he cares for you. That's the rest he promises. Thirdly, it's a rest that is fixed and a rest that is settled. It's a rest that is fixed and it's a rest that is settled. To rest in Jesus includes the wonderful assurance that your eternal destiny is secured in him. He has secured our eternal destiny in him. Your soul is no longer bothered by uncertainties and different philosophies and different opinions and different uh, ideologies and how we're supposed to live and all of this. We're fixed and we're settled. Let the world have all of their confusion around. What do we do with this? What do we do? Oh, the world is changing and all this kind of stuff. We're fixed and we're settled because we rest in Jesus Christ. If we come to Jesus Christ, all the restlessness and all the changing of opinions and all the panic, it stays outside. We're fixed and we're settled. 
You're not blown around by every wind of doctrine. You're fixed and you're settled. You're not carried by the stream of contemporary thinking. You're fixed and you're settled. Jesus Christ can offer rest. You have confident assurance that he will keep his promises. It gives you a sense of belonging. It gives you a sense of being fixed. What comfort that brings to your soul. Fourthly, rest also speaks of the fact that we can be confident and trustful in him. He says, he who has begun a good work will complete it, will, will, will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus' yoke means that, carrying Jesus' yoke means that we can have assurance now and then in eternity. We can have something of that blessed assurance now and then in eternity. And lastly, finally, that, that rest gives us the sense of being able to lean, like I mentioned before, to be close, to depend on him, abide in him. Believe on him. Jesus Christ says, come to me and rest. And be a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. Come to me and enjoy the, 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 the bounty of heaven that I can give. Come to me and rest and enjoy the good gift of heaven that I can bestow upon you from this very moment. Come to me and lean. Come to me and don't have to worry about your burdens anymore. Don't have to worry about running hitherto, forward and backward, trying to fix your own burdens. Come to me and rest. I will give you rest. So how do we conclude? How do, how do I bring our sermon to a close? So the, 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 there's an age-old question that says, what do you give to the person that has everything? What, what do you give them? Someone has absolutely everything in the world. What do you give them? Well, that person is Jesus Christ. He has everything, and he's told you what he wants. He says, I want your burdens. I want your cares. Give them to me. Jesus Christ is asking you today, will you give me your cares and your burdens? He's getting personal with us. Jesus is here, and you are here. And he's inviting you to come over to him with your cares and with your burdens. Will you accept the invitation? Will you come? What do you say to the invitation? Is it a yes, I will come humbly, I will come broken, I will come because I trust you, I will come because I know that you're a gentle savior and you will love me and you will deal with my cares? Or is it a thanks, but I'll try this first thing. Thanks, I'll probably do a bit more lifting of my own. Have you accepted the invitation for yourself? Do you have no grief and concerns and remorse that you need to deal with? Are you not tired of being tired? Come to Jesus Christ and receive him. 